This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning. The first reading is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to, where, coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children from Abraham. The axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 15, verses 4 to 9. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written... Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, your scriptures call us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Awaken in us a passion to know more and more about you, so that increasingly we can grow to be like you, as Jesus requested. Amen. Um, 
during the season of Advent, we are focusing uh, on the collects, the special prayers each Sunday. And uh, this week's is on page three of the handout where it says collect, and we will be reading that and praying that together at the end of the sermon. Now, in our society, we have a lot of statements which people make to one another in order to stir us up and to get us to do something with a bit more zeal and eagerness and thoroughness. And uh, I'm going to uh, ask you to finish. I'm going to uh, have ten of them here. I want you to keep a score on your fingers of uh, how you're going, and we'll see what score you get out of ten. How many of these? You've got to mark yourself, and you get a mark if you've been able to say the end of the saying in time. Okay, here we go. Roll up. Come on. It's not roll up, roll up, Jimmy Sharman's tent. <laughs> boom, boom. Okay, that's the idea. I say the first half, you say the second half. Here we go. We'll try it again. Everyone should get at least one. Roll up. Nose to the... Pull your... Socks up. I thought surely it won't happen. Grin and, that's what I'm doing now, knuckle, chin, get your act together, come on, soldier, Rome wasn't, and there are no free, okay, now be honest, anyone get ten? Oh, what a pity, because when Michael away, I was going to give you a refund of your offertory if you got ten. The trouble with these sayings is that nobody wants to be told any of them because they're a bit critical, they're a bit pushy, they're a bit threatening. They sort of say, look, shape up or else. They're not very nice. We're finished. <laughs> what, we, what we much prefer, what works best in the long run, what keeps, uh, gets us to keep going are not demands, pull your socks up, but encouragements. Can I help? You're doing well. Or even, look, there's a reward if you succeed. Now, the Christian life is not a pushover. Is there anything tougher, as Jesus asks, than loving your enemy or turning the other cheek or being forgiving 70 times 7? It's not easy to be meek or to be merciful or to be pure in heart or to be a peacemaker. The New Testament describes the Christian life as fight the good fight, run with perseverance, struggle against sin, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong. It's tough. The Christian life is no bed of roses. It's no laid-back, pampered, lazy, self-indulgent, permanent vacation on the Gold Coast. It is hard work, but it is so worthwhile. Now, most of the people who give up following Jesus, or who refuse to even start, do so not because Jesus is hard to believe, but because following Jesus is hard. And the question is, what does Christianity do to help us in this essential struggle to follow Jesus and to build his kingdom? Does it badger and threaten us? One day you'll be judged... Does it shame and manipulate us? Look, can't you be more generous? Or 
does it uplift and encourage us? Threaten, shame, encourage. This is an important question. Of course, there is a time to be given a kick in the backside and there is a time to be reminded of our duty. But far more important in the New Testament is the time to be encouraged. The New Testament's position is overwhelmingly that we live Christ's way because the love of Christ compels us rather than the horror of hell terrifies us. The stimulus is encouragement, not fear. Now, the New Testament has uh, several sources of encouragement and uh, the more you think, the more you can uh, remember. But there are two in particular that I want to focus on today that are very common in the writings of the New Testament. We are in, meant to be encouraged by other believers and we are meant to be encouraged by the Scriptures. Other believers and the Scriptures. Both are very important. Paul said that he sent Tychicus to the Ephesians to encourage your hearts. And he sent Timothy to the Thessalonians, he said, to encourage you. He aimed to get to Rome himself so that, he and the Romans, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And he particularly thanks Philemon, I have received much encouragement from your love. In fact, he lays it onto every believer, encourage one another and build each other up. So, Christian living is hard. To help us, God's plan is that we encourage one another over and over, deliberately and spontaneously, planning and just wanting to be useful, to give one another a lift. What are you doing to encourage other believers? What encouragement are you receiving from others? Now, if you have trouble answering either or even both of those questions, well, you're probably not Robinson Crusoe, but come and talk to any staff member and raise that question. How am I encouraging people? What can I do? Where can I get encouraged? This is something we should talk about and be doing often. We'd love to hear from you. The second plan that God has to encourage us is the scriptures. As Paul says in the, uh, the, the first Bible reading today, uh, or the second reading, Romans chapter 15, verse 4. By the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And he only had the Old Testament. We've also got the New. So what encouragement do we get from the scriptures? And he says we get the courage to hope. Now, this is a word that's worth talking about. It is not the fingers crossed emotion that the Socceroos had this morning before the kickoff against Argentina, which is real and proper. Rather, this hope, this Christian hope, is the absolute expectation that God is with me now and eternal life is coming up. As sure as the sun coming up tomorrow morning. And this assurance, this expectation, comes from the scriptures. 
not from my wishes or my imagination or wouldn't it be nice or some philosopher or a mystic's uh, predictions. This is from the scriptures. This is real encouragement. Hope, that expectation. No fingers crossed, it's certain, it just hasn't arrived yet. Do the scriptures give any other encouragement on top of this extraordinary confidence that Paul calls hope? Well, of course they do. They're described as useful for teaching, correction and training in righteousness. Teaching, this is teaching us what God is like and especially what he's done for us in Jesus. That's the teaching. Correction is highlighting our wrong ideas and actions that mess up our friendship with the pure and holy God. And training in righteousness is highlighting the great thoughts and actions that accelerate our walk with God. So the scriptures are like a good coach. Uh, whether he's coaching us to swim faster or pass a maths test or play the violin, a good coach will teach, will correct and will train so that we will both expect and perform far better. Now this is classy encouragement and this is what the scriptures do. It's important for us to never forget that as people we do not naturally think God's way. We need to be taught or we will regularly mess up, even sometimes when we are doing what we think is right. The scriptures teach us what God is like. They teach us what he wants from us and how he helps. Without being told, we would never know. We will be totally in the dark. The scriptures bring extraordinary encouragement because the facts are so wonderful and we're uplifted and we're recharged and we're enthused and we're encouraged to live for Christ. The natural question is, well, why can the scriptures do this? Simple answer, because they are God's voice to us. Jesus over and over taught his disciples that he must suffer and be rejected and be killed. Not that he might or even would, but that he must suffer and be rejected and killed. Now, where did he get those ideas, that strong sense of what was he was there for? Well, on the first Easter day, he's talking to two disciples and we read a description of, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's our Old Testament, he explained to them what was written in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is where Jesus learned his fate. It was through the scriptures that he knew what he was there for and how it was going to happen. And so he was able to say that it must, not might or could, but he must suffer and be rejected and be killed. For Jesus, the scriptures were God's word to him and so they are to us. St Paul also describes the scriptures as inspired by God or God breathed. What does that mean? Well, broadly, of course, it means that God has been influential in these writings so that we can trust them. But there are detailed questions that are harder to answer. 
Does, for instance, being inspired, does it mean that God dictated the scriptures and the writers jotted down the words? Were the authors just keyboards on which God wrote? Well, almost certainly not. Each writer still used his own expressions, his own vocabulary, his own sentence construction, his own grammar. One Sunday last year, Michael had to read my sermon as I was in last-minute quarantine. I think he was happy enough with what he read, but he said afterwards how weird it was hearing my words and phrases coming out of his mouth. We, get, we do have different styles and we know it. Every single writer has his own style and the Bible writers kept their own way of writing, even though they were being inspired by God. The writers were not keyboards, but they were inspired. And it's good for us to remember they were also writing literature. They were not writing a manual, like a recipe, or a flat pack construction guide, or a car mechanics instruction book, where every single word is to be taken 100% literally or you're in big trouble. Or in the case of the flatback, even bigger trouble. The Bible writers used all the things that you find in literature. Exaggeration, poetry, simile, parable, just like we do in natural normal talk and writing. Normal literature is often not literal and the scriptures are the same. So for instance, exaggeration. In the chapter 1 of St Mark, we read the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to John the Baptist. No, they didn't. Huge numbers did, but not all took the 30-kilometre round trip with the 500-metre climb to get back home. Or you could look at Jesus' sentence. Anyone who does not hate his mother and father cannot be my disciples. It's an exaggeration because... Jesus also told us to love our enemies, so surely our parents will fit in there or above. It's obviously exaggeration. And the scriptures use poetry. I mean, we read in St Luke's Gospel, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness. No, a rising sun is not coming from heaven, literally. It's poetry referring to Christ's arrival. It's not literal. And the scriptures are loaded with similes. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And of course, Jesus telling us, you are a light set on a hill. Similes. And parables. Now, the parables may be historical, maybe they happened, maybe they didn't, maybe they were made up. It doesn't matter. Either way, the truth is in the message. Was there actually a good Samaritan or was there actually a prodigal son or were there five maidens at a wedding whose lamps ran dry before the groom turned up? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Who cares? Each parable is true because the message in each case, is pure, clear gold. Now, we're very used to speaking with exaggeration, to make a point, 
uh, with a bit of poetry sometimes, if we're uh, able, to, with words like that. We certainly use similes and storytelling to demonstrate an issue. We do that. And we understand when others are doing it too, especially exaggeration. Uh, when your teenager says, but everyone is going, it really means that at this very moment, my best friend is saying the same thing to his or her mother. And we all understand that. Doesn't need explaining. So mostly we have no problem understanding the Bible writers when we think about it a little bit. But just sometimes we're still a bit too quick to take something literally. So always ask yourself, first of all, what was the writer meaning? Now, for instance, once Jesus was listing uh, men for whom the gift of marriage was not appropriate, and he lists those who were born eunuchs, uh, those who'd been castrated by others, and those self-mutilated for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, with just one maybe exception down the centuries, no one is known to have taken this literally, rather than assuming that Jesus is thinking of those who feel called to a committed single life so as to do some ministry for God. I mean, the whole massive monastic movement down the centuries with thousands of celibates never advocated self-mutilation. But two centuries after Jesus, there was one great church leader, Oregon, who is said to have taken this drastic step, though he wrote against the idea later in his life. Well, if it's true, then he mistook simile for literal. Sharing our ideas about what we read in the Bible with fellow Christians, especially, but not only, with qualified teachers, will prevent almost every misplaced interpretation. With a bit of care, there is little chance of major error. So don't hold back for fear of leading yourself astray. Next question. If the writers are doing their own thing in their own way, is God really there too? Well, Jesus certainly thought so. The Son of Man must suffer and be rejected and be killed. And there are other instances, particularly in the writings of the prophets, where something that came true was written long before it happened. And, of course, then there is possibly the Bible's most amazing people's piece of foreknowledge in the well-known Genesis story of creation, chapter 1. Here, at least 2,000 years before scientists were able to think God's thoughts after him, an unknown person wrote these four things. One, all Earth's land was originally covered by water. And, of course, knowing nothing about tectonic plates and their movement, Secondly, at some stage, dry land appeared. Thirdly, life began in the water, not on the land. And fourthly, the human race was the last step of creation. Now, at least three of those facts, I personally think, are very unlikely, to say the least, to have been guessed way back then. But to get four of them right is just simply astonishing. Is there even the remotest chance that some ancient could have guessed those four pivotal stages of Earth's development? Now, to my mind, he had to be told 
in some way. I've no idea how God did it, and I've no doubt that he did do it. So there are a mixture of the ways in which people get their material that they then wrote in their own words, in their own style, but still under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Most the writers go about their writing in their usual ways. I mean, St Luke, for instance, begins his gospel thus. Since I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good to write an orderly account for you, oh excellent Theophilus. He claims to have done serious research. And as Luke and others write their histories and their poetry and their prophecies and their letters, God's spirit is involved as well. So the end result is what God wants. And their writings are God-breathed, giving their readers the assurance that Paul calls hope, as well as teaching, correction and training in righteousness. Now this is Encouragement Central. One, Christianity is hard, and if you're finding nothing difficult, then maybe you've dropped off the pace a bit. Two, we need encouragement. Everyone does. Three, we are meant to get and give it to one another. Is this your experience? Mixing with other believers, especially in connect groups, is a great way to give and receive encouragement. And four, we are also meant to get encouragement from the scriptures because we do not automatically know what God is like or what he wants us to do or what he wants us to change or how he wants to help. And most of all, how he has loved us so much that he gave his only son so that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We only know any of that because God has revealed it to us in Jesus and in the scriptures. But there are lots of Christians who don't bother too much with the Bible, apart from listening to it read and talked about in sermons Sunday by Sunday. We do need more because, as Paul urged his disciples, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mould. And the world has got all the week to squeeze us into its way of thinking. And every day it's trying to do us and to twist us away from Christ. And we need to feed on Christ in the scriptures in order that the world will not squeeze us into its own mould. Connect groups are a wonderful way of encouraging and it's fabulous. If you're not part of one, think seriously about it. It's time well spent and committed. And Michael's daily email, uh, which many of you are receiving already, is just a wonderful way. A little bit of scripture, some thoughts about it, and a relevant prayer at the finish. If you would like to try this, comes into your email at six o'clock every morning uh, on the welcome card that's uh, in your desk. The fourth, uh, the third thing, receive daily email Bible devotions. That's what it is. Put your name there, tick that if you're not already getting it. Try it. So that the diet of reading a bit of the scriptures feeding on Christ through the words that are there, these words that have been inspired by the Holy Spirit, even though written in the ordinary way of ordinary people. This is one of the two great ways that God wants to encourage us because we need encouragement because Christianity 
is no bed of roses. We're going to say together, is he the collect for today? Page three. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that encouraged and supported by your holy word, we may embrace and always hold fast the joyful hope of everlasting life, which you've given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.